We'd like to welcome you to this edition of The Jazz Show, our first post-fun drive show. Yes, well, the fun drive was quite successful, and I thought I'd just pass this on. We, uh, and there are still some very late donations coming in. Our goal was $40,000. We got to $38,300. And I'd just like to congratulate and thank everybody who contributed. You can still do it just by going online. If you forgot or you didn't have the money at the time or anything like that. But uh, we're very, very happy here at CITR. And we can achieve some of the goals that uh, we've set out for ourselves. All right. This is The Jazz Show, a regular feature on CITR. My name is Gavin Walker. And we have some of the very best of jazz music for the next three hours. And we're going to do two things tonight, just two on the agenda. Our jazz feature, which is first, uh, celebrating the 85th birthday of one of the great innovators of jazz, alto saxophonist, occasional trumpeter, occasional violinist, composer, someone who really, um, in many ways, revolutionized jazz uh, in the early 60s when he brought his band to New York and uh, created all kinds of controversy. I'm talking about a gentleman whose birth name is Randolph Denard Ornette Coleman. He is known, of course, now as Ornette Coleman. And today, he's 85. He is still performing. His health is not that great, but uh, I was told by a very good friend of mine in New York that she um, celebrated Ornette's birthday um, on Sunday with, with him and some other people at his home in New York, and he was in fine form, uh, witty, uh, funny, and looking very good at age 85. So we're going to celebrate his music this evening. And we're also going to celebrate, uh, I mentioned last week, and of course we um, had a, a very special agenda last week with the Fun Drive show and that sort of thing, and I restricted the music to all kinds of stuff by Miles Davis. And uh, I did mention last week on the show that uh, someone that... Um, I liked very much and uh, was acquainted with and chatted with on a fairly regular basis was, and I'm sorry to say was, Oren Keepnews. Oren Keepnews, the great, probably the last of the great uh, jazz producers from the 50s. We had uh, Bob Weinstock. Um, who headed Prestige Records, Alfred Lyon, of course, of Blue Note Records, and there were other folks in there, but Oren Keepnews stands as one of the pinnacles of um, recording and documentation of some of the most important jazz musicians ever. And we're going to dedicate, after our jazz feature this evening, we're going to play a number of recordings 
by such people as Bill Evans, West Montgomery, Cannonball Adderley, Thelonious Monk, that Orrin Keep News was responsible for recording and, of course, recorded some of their very best work. He was a producer that I know of no musician that said anything bad about Ornette, uh, about Orrin Keep News. He could be brusque, he could be brash, he could be very, very impatient, but he had a heart of gold, and he knew what he was doing intuitively. He was an extremely intelligent man. He was a trained journalist, which is why his liner notes on albums um, are so good and so interesting to read, because they really give you the insight of the music, and of course, they're well-written. They're not just kind of junk writing. Or uh, he, he really was an excellent writer. He died March the 1st, and he was one day short of his 92nd birthday. That's right. He was born March the 2nd, 1923, in New York City, in Brooklyn. And uh, Orrin Keepnews stands, as I said, as a pinnacle to uh, honesty, integrity, and someone who was most important to documenting this great music that we call jazz. So after the jazz feature, I'm going to pay a little tribute to someone who was uh, someone I I liked very much and uh, talked with uh, every once in a while. The last time I talked to Orrin Keep News was about six months ago. Uh, he wasn't really as feisty as he always has been. He was quite quiet and um, um, uncharacteristically um, slow to answer and respond to um, some of my questions or just uh, making small talk. And I knew that I somehow knew that he was uh, reaching the end of his road. He didn't sound in ill health. He simply just sounded that that he had slowed down a whole lot. And, of course, he had. So the end came, as I said, March the 1st. And the news spread around the media that uh, Orrin Keep News had passed. And, of course, as I said, no one has said anything negative about Orrin Keep News and all the labels that he had. He, had, uh, he started Riverside Records. Uh, and Jazzland. That was his most important part of his his career. Um, then after the, those labels um, folded, uh, he started another one, uh, started a label called Milestone Records. Uh, after Milestone uh, ran its course, um, Oren went into independent producing for his own label called, uh, um, <laughs> uh, I forget the name of the thing, uh, it's, um, anyway, uh, I, I believe it's Landmark Records, and, uh, yes, <laughs> Landmark Records, I couldn't think of the name, uh, it, it escaped me, anyway, that was his last label, and then, of course, he went into independent producing and all kinds of stuff, so, uh, we'll be talking about, uh, Orrin Keep News and how I started off on the wrong foot with, uh, with Oren. Uh, he was uh, unlikely to ever become my friend uh, when I first made contact with him. But I'll tell you that story later, because we have to get to the music and our jazz feature. And this evening is 
a most important um, aspect and a most important period in Ornette Coleman's career. Now, Ornette Coleman, you can find out a lot of information, his history and so on, on the web. It's, it's very well known. Ornette was born in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, he played in uh, rhythm and blues bands when he was uh, younger, played tenor and alto saxophone. He was kicked out of uh, all kinds of bands because he had his own kind of way of playing music. Uh, when he began to play jazz, uh, when he moved to Los Angeles, um, he drove an elevator there. That's what he did, and he practiced. It was in a, a store, and, um, and, and of course, they, when the store closed, they still needed the elevator to, to, to stock the floors in the department store. And, and he would sit in the elevator for hours and practice his saxophone. And and uh, and play. So it was a it was a good good gig for him, and of course eventually um, formed his own bands and and uh, came out and he would sit in with different musicians and and a lot of the times he got booted off the bandstand because they felt that he couldn't play or he was just playing something that was so outlandish that it didn't fit in with the music, and many prominent musicians kicked him off. Uh, I won't get into all the names, but uh, there were some people that are are <laughs> very, um, very, very well-known musicians and very respected and uh, musicians that I love, but uh, they didn't like Warnett Coleman's music. Uh, Warnett came to Vancouver in 1957. I was very, very privileged to see him at the original cellar. It was uh, his music was uh, a bit of a shock. Uh, for the uh, the jazz listeners, even the hip jazz listeners here in Vancouver, so opinions about his music was div- divided, and uh, I liked most of it, but there was some that didn't make a lot of sense to me. But uh, there were some pretty hostile reactions too, and um, here in Vancouver. But he played his first out of town gig right here in Vancouver. The history books said Vancouver, Washington. That was later on corrected. They realized it was Vancouver, British Columbia, right at the original cellar. Then, uh, of course, Ornette and and uh, Don Cherry, his partner, the trumpeter. Uh, went on to uh, study at the Lenox School of Music in New York, and then Ornette was able to bring the rest of the band to New York City and made their incredible debut there at the Five Spot, which was one of the leading jazz clubs in New York. And, of course, again, opinion was totally divided uh, on Ornette. And I, I can think of, um, I think of the modern jazz quartet when I think of uh, the opinions stated about Ornette's music. Now, Milt Jackson was a, 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 a pretty good friend of mine. Milt Jackson did not like Ornette Coleman. He said, if everybody starts to play like that, that's the end of jazz. John Lewis, on the other hand, the musical director of the modern jazz quartet, was a huge, huge fan of Ornette Coleman. And he said, this young man is a jazz revolutionary. And he's going to change the course of jazz. So even within the modern jazz quartet, there was this divided opinion. Percy Heath, the bassist, had actually recorded with Ornette. So he was all for him. And Connie Kay, the drummer, was um, very negative as well about Ornette's music. So (laughs) you had two guys for and two guys against in the same band. So there you go. That's the kind of controversy that Ornette... 
he is in magnificent form. This is a trio that he had. Um, it was formed in 1962, but he raised his prices so high that he didn't get any work uh, for several years, and he didn't care at this time. He, he had, uh, was earning money from royalties and learned how to survive and just kept this trio together. And the personnel in this trio, eventually they went on a European tour, and they recorded in Sweden um, at a club called the Golden Circle in Stockholm. And we're going to hear um, the last two nights, Blue Note Records went in and recorded them, uh, this, this, this trio. The personnel in the trio, we're going to hear Ornette Coleman, of course, on alto saxophone. And any doubts should leave your mind of the fact that this man can play. And uh, he's wonderful here. He's unencumbered. He's, he's, it's a trio with bass and drums. So the, the big voice is Ornette Coleman's alto saxophone. On bass is a young man, then young man, uh, who has since passed away, came from a classical background, played in symphony orchestras and chamber groups, uh, was unfamiliar with jazz, but fell in with Ornette Coleman and somehow has that intuition about Ornette Coleman's music and was a beautiful bass player and perfectly suited for Ornette's music. Very, uh, um, very virtuoso bassist. His name, David Eisenson. And on drums... Someone that Ornette went to high school with in Fort Worth, Texas. And he would have been the regular drummer in Ornette's band when he first came to New York. But Charles Moffat had a, had a teaching gig in, a high, in high school in Fort Worth and didn't want to leave the security because he had a large family and um, they were all babies at the time. And uh, he had to take care of the, them, so he needed that kind of a job. He eventually did move bag and baggage and family to New York, and so he became a part of Ornette's band. A wonderful drummer. His name was Charles Moffat, uh, better known as CM. And uh, those are his initials, of course. So those are the guys in the trio. Ornette Coleman, alto saxophone, David Eisenson on bass, and Charles Moffat on drums. And these performances were recorded at the Golden Circle, as I mentioned, in Stockholm, uh, the last two nights of an extended gig that they had there. And they were recorded on December 3rd and 4th, 1965. And all the compositions are by Ornette Coleman. We're going to hear an announcement by the MC of the club in English and Swedish, and then we're going to go into Ornette's first composition called Faces and Places. And then we're going to follow that with um, the next composition called European Echoes. Then composition number three, and uh, I know who this is dedicated to. I, I won't tell you, but it's, uh, the composition is called Didi, and it's dedicated to uh, the wife of um, a great friend of mine or the, the ex-wife of a great friend of mine. Anyway, that's the name of the tune. It's called Didi. And the, final, um, the next tune after that is a beautiful thing called Dawn, like the dawn of the morning, T-A-W-N. And uh, then we're going to hear maybe a bit more of uh, maybe another composition or two by this incredible trio. 
So we take you to the Golden Circle in Stockholm, and here's the announcer to uh, bring on the Ornette Coleman Trio, our jazz feature artist this evening. Happy birthday, Ornette Coleman. May you live much longer. We need you. Får jag lov att presentera Ornette Coleman Trio. Ornette Coleman, David Isenson, Charles Moffat. Idag är sista dagen så vi har det stora nöjet att ha denna fantastiska trio här. Och jag tycker de är värda en kraftigare applåd på Fix. to have you here, you know, and I hope that you can come back here real soon again. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, we're starting to have enjoyed ourselves here, and we hope everyone has also. We thank you very much.
our jazz feature this evening, the music of Ornette Coleman, who was celebrating his 85th birthday on this day, March the 9th. He was born in Fort Worth, Texas, and came up playing the uh, tenor and alto saxophone in rhythm and blues bands and moved on to forming his own group and, of course, uh, in many ways, revolutionizing jazz music. This was an important period in uh, Ornette's life. Um, this particular trio that we heard on this uh, set recorded at the Golden Circle in Stockholm in, uh, over the last two nights of their long engagement there in December of 1965. The people involved, of course, Ornette Coleman on alto saxophone, David Eisenson on bass, and Charles Moffat, CM, on drums. And, of course, uh, I find if I, was, if I were to introduce uh, someone who had never heard Ornette Coleman to his music, I think I would pick these recordings. Not that these recordings are anything <laughs> like Ornette Light or anything like that, because there isn't any such thing. But... The fact is, is that his voice is unencumbered, and uh, uh, with just bass and drums, you can hear his thoughts, his direction, and and the way he forms uh, his music uh, in in this incredibly intuitive way. And any doubts, of course, that people have had about his musical ability, um, sure, music is a matter of taste, and and uh, somebody may. Um, they say, well, I don't like his sound very much, or somebody may say, I love his sound. You never know. Um, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of, of Ornette Coleman, and, and uh, I would be um, remiss to say that he doesn't know how to play. <laughs> Some people say that. Uh, even to this day, with all the honors and accolades that he has and had in his life, uh, doctorate degrees and and grants and, and all kinds of uh, things, there are still people that sort of scratch their heads about Ornette Coleman's music. And uh, some of it is, is uh, some of his music, yes, is, is very challenging, but I, I don't find this music at all challenging. In, in, it's challenging, yes, but it's also accessible. And... Um, I thought that this was one of the um, better ways to celebrate Ornette Coleman and his accomplishments by playing these uh, magnificent recordings. Ornette was under contract with Blue Note Records for um, about two, two and a half years and recorded some very, very important albums uh, for Blue Note, including um, this album which was actually issued uh, first on two LPs, Volume 1, Volume 2, and then eventually on two CDs, of course. And uh, these were all Ornette Coleman compositions. So we, we began with uh, an announcement by the Swedish MC of uh, the Golden Circle. Then we went into the first tune called Faces and Places. And um, the second tune was kind of a cute little waltz, a very, sounded very simple, almost childlike in its uh, m melodic content, and that was entitled European Echoes. And tune number three was a, a happy, uh, bouncy kind of a tune called Didi. And uh, then the final two tunes we heard were, were more introspective, um, and of course that's a big part of Ornette Coleman's music too. Uh, following Didi was a composition called Dawn. 
D-A-W-N, for the morning, the morning dawn, of course. And the, again, uh, the final composition, uh, once again dedicated to morning, was called Morning Song. And uh, there we have it, our jazz feature tonight, celebrating the 85th birthday of one of the great icons of uh, improvised music and jazz music, Ornette Coleman. We heard his trio. David Eisenson on bass and Charles Moffat on drums and, of course, Mr. Coleman on alto saxophone. And next up, our tribute to the great Oren Keep News. We're going to be playing some iconic recordings for the remainder of the show uh, by such people as Wes Montgomery, Thelonious Monk, and so on and so forth. A couple of brief announcements, and we'll be right back. Hope you enjoyed the jazz feature. My name is Gavin Walker. This is The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on the web, www.citr.ca. Also, one more thing before we hit the announcements. We got (laughs) in our fund drive, yeah, $38,000 and $38,300. And there's still more to come. So our goal was 40000 So in this day and age, we have almost got there. And, of course, we'll be able to accomplish all the things that were planned uh, to do with the Fund Drive money. And we are eternally grateful for all of you out there who contributed to CITR and all the various shows as well, and especially those that contributed to The Jazz Show. We'll be back shortly. Want to know what's up at UBC? Read the UBC. It's only the largest student newspaper in Western Canada, and it's written and edited entirely by UBC students. The UBC is your source for on-campus news, culture, and sports. New editions come out every Monday and Thursday. For breaking news as well as amazing videos and blogs, check out ubc.ca. We can uh, sit back, and uh, it's so wonderful to have the the kind of weather that we've been experiencing out here in the West Coast. Um, (laughs) I know there's been a lot of gloating going on on the Internet uh, where pictures have been of uh, the cherry blossoms and streets in Vancouver that are just bursting with uh, um, this kind of spring stuff that uh, happens here uh, and sending the pictures back to... uh, these dismal places called Toronto, Montreal, New York, etc. And, um, well, uh, folks are not too happy to receive those because uh, they're still in the 
dead of winter, and there's still piles of snow. I've seen pictures in Montreal and and New York and and, um, various uh, eastern cities that are just, uh, well, forget it. (laughs) We're so happy to be out here, even though it's the most expensive city in the world, and we've got a bunch of corrupt politicians, and and, uh, uh, we have this uh, uh, crazy uh, uh, vote coming up, yes or no, for uh, 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 public transit, all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, when the weather's like this, we forget about all that kind of nonsense and just enjoy ourselves, which is what we should be doing. Forget about all that other stuff. Anyway, the weather, uh, a bit of a change this week, but tonight is partly cloudy with some fog patches and a low of three. And then tomorrow is a mix of sun and cloud, and then it's going to cloud up uh, later on in the day completely, and then uh, maybe some evening showers tomorrow night. Uh, with a low of 3 and a high of 12, still fairly warm. Uh, Wednesday, the outlook there is rain, with a low of 8 and a high of 12. Thursday, cloudy with a 40% chance of a shower, a low of 9, high of 12. Friday is cloudy, with a low of 8, high of 14. Saturday, uh, periods of rain, with a low of 8 and a high of 15. And Sunday is cloudy with a 60% chance of a shower, with a low of 7, high of 13. So that's pretty well sums up the picture for the week. Our tribute to the great Oren Keep News, the owner, the record producer, the writer of um, the owner of Riverside Records, Jazzland Records, Milestone Records, uh, his own label, Landmark Records. He also produced records for the Fantasy label and uh, was integral to uh, recording such great artists as Thelonious Monk, Bill Evans, Cannibal Adderley, Brother Nat, uh, Wes Montgomery, Johnny Griffin, Jimmy Heath, McCoy Tyner, Joe Henderson, Lee Konitz, Gary Bartz. The names go on and on and on. Oren Keep News was the last of the great um, record uh, producers. And um, he was a man who, as I mentioned before, um, treated all the musicians fairly, respected uh, musicians a great deal. And I know of nobody who talked uh, bad about uh, uh, Oren Keep News. He was always very fair, very upfront. You know what you were getting uh, when uh, you recorded for Oren Keep News. Uh, He would show you the dollar figures. That's what he would pay you. No rip-offs, none of that kind of stuff, which, of course, infected so many uh, recording labels. He, he was held in, in very high esteem. And as I mentioned before, he could be brusque. He could be, um, he could be nasty sometimes. Uh, he, he certainly, if he was rubbed the wrong way, look out, he, he, he'd get you. Uh, he had a voice like broken glass. <laughs> and uh, he was uh, uh, he was quite something, but he was also very fair and very very warm hearted, and uh, uh, he was he was quite the character. He was born in the Bronx of uh, of uh, Jewish parents, uh, March the second, nineteen twenty three. He was a smart guy. He graduated from Columbia University with a degree in English in nineteen forty three. And then he was drafted um, the the last couple of years of the Second World War, and he worked as a a radar man. 
and uh, uh, was in, uh, involved in bombing raids over Japan uh, in the final months of World War II. He returned, of course, um, and took uh, graduate studies. He had a GI grant after, the, after being involved in the war and the, and the armed forces or the Air Force and uh, uh, returned to graduate studies at Columbia in 1946. And he was working as an editor for book publishers, um, the famous Simon & Schuster, and he moonlighted as an editor of a jazz magazine, a small jazz magazine called The Record Changer. And he began writing for that, and that he was one of the first people to inter- interview an iconoclastic young man who was not open to conversation by the name of Thelonious Monk. And he, uh, Oren Keepnews wrote the first uh, profile of Thelonious Monk, and a very respectable one as well. Um, he started his own record label with his partner, Bill Grower, and they founded Riverside Records. And, of course, this was one of the most important jazz labels. Um, Oren Keepnews was responsible for buying out Thelonious Monk's contract with Prestige Records. Mr. Monk was very unhappy with Prestige. Um, obviously, Bob Weinstock really didn't, he didn't really care for Monk's music. Well, if Monk's music had a soul, it would have been different. But Monk's records, nobody was buying them. Uh, the critics were nasty. Um, Monk was out there. He was struggling. His records didn't sell. He wasn't working very much. Um, he was kind of treated with a lot of disdain. However, Orn, um, Orrin Keep News, uh, once they started Riverside Records, um, they, were, they were more, he, Keep News and his partner were more traditional-minded. Uh, they, were, they were reissuing old Dixieland records and so on. But Orrin Keep News also had, a, had an ear for modern jazz, and he was getting more and more into it. And he thought... He knew that uh, uh, Thelonious had been in contact with him, and he knew that Thelonious was very unhappy with Prestige Records. And so he bought out Monk's contract for 108 bucks and 26 cents. That's what Monk owed Prestige. And with that, he became property of Riverside Records. And, of course, Oren Keepnews became his producer. Now, Oren really didn't know what he was getting into uh, with a, a difficult and temperamental artist like Monk, but he persevered and produced some of Monk's greatest recordings. And we're going to hear some of those a little later on in the show. My, um, and I'll, I'll try and keep this story short, my, my, I got off on the wrong foot with Oren Keepnews. This was a number of years ago. And um, here's my Oren Keepnews story, how we became friends. Well, it, didn't, it wasn't very likely that we were going to become friends because I sent him um, a fax back then when they had a fax machine. And I sent him a fax uh, and it was actually a complaint. And I don't think I was very polite in the, in the fax. I was pretty direct. But uh, as a Christmas present, I had received a deluxe um, four-CD set of Charlie Parker's live Royal Roost recordings that were put together and collated by Oren Keepnews. 
he eliminated a lot of the uh, talk on the records, uh, the introductions by Symphony Sid and so on, reduced those. And, of course, the production was, was deluxe. The music was sounded the best I ever heard it, uh, considering the source, um, broadcast recordings and so on. Keep News was uh, behind the, the, the uh, putting this CD set together. He was the producer and executive producer. However... I was furious because there was one tune where there was a terrible skip in one of the performances. And it was like a skip you got on, on records. It would skip over. Uh, you remember those things when, when you did have records and sometimes, you know, the records were damaged and the, and the needle would, would, well, would just skip. So you'd miss some music. Uh, CDs do that too. And it was there. And I was furious and I thought, this is, this is a mistake that's been perpetrated from uh, uh, some earlier reissues. But I happen to have in my possession uh, that particular track from a French reissue, which did not have the skip. And so I wrote this fax to Oren Keepnews complaining that this skip was on there. And as producer, he should have corrected this because me... I, I owned it. I owned a, a French copy that didn't have the skip. So why didn't he, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. That's how the, the, the fax went on. Well, it wasn't very long when I got a fax back um, calling me several names in the book. Who are you? What the hell do you know? Um, no, this is, uh, uh, th- this is none of your business, um, blah, blah, blah. It was pretty insulting, as a matter of fact. And also, it ended with, I never want to hear from you again. I've said my piece, that's it. Case closed. So I was furious. I thought, what an, an ignorant man to, to do this. I was, I was really angry about it. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send him something. I'm going to make a tape, a cassette tape, and send it to him. Because um, I had his home address. I'm going to send the faultless take without the skip and the take with the skip and say, here's proof uh, of this and, and be a little more polite in, in, in a letter to him. And uh, so I did that, uh, put it in the mail, and uh, then um, I was gone on a holiday for about a month. When uh, we returned from the holiday... My partner at the time said uh, to me, there's a fax for you, because it was her machine that uh, was a fax machine. There's a fax here from, uh, from Keep News. And I went, uh-oh, here we go again. Huh. Well, she didn't read it. I read it, and I read it out loud, and it was an apology and an acknowledgement that I was indeed right um, and so on and so forth, and uh, the um, the CD would be corrected. I would I would receive a, a special copy uh, and a long story about why this happened, and um, so on and so forth. And it was <laughs> it was pretty interesting. So I took it upon myself to phone him, and I said, "Thank you very much for your reply, Mister Keep News. Uh, you're a true gentleman and a scholar." 
uh, for admitting a mistake. And, of course, uh, he laughed, and he says, that's something I never do. I've never admitted to a mistake. But I did there because I did make a mistake. And uh, he apologized once again. And then we talked uh, <laughs> for about an hour and a half on the phone. And um, um, so we got to know one another, and I, we exchanged some information. I gave him some phone numbers of people that he had lost contact with, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, our friendship began, and that's how and it's, it continued until his demise. So that's the that's the little story. We're going to get to um, we're going to get to some music that he produced. One of the first um, modern artists, incidentally, Mr. Keep News died at his home in El Cerrito, California, March the first, two thousand and fifteen, one day before his ninety second birthday. So, uh, the first modern jazz artist to be signed by Riverside Records was not Thelonious Monk. No, a little before Monk got signed was a piano player who was influenced by Mr. Monk and a piano player who is still alive. And um, Keep News was responsible for some of his earliest recordings. And I'm talking about Brooklyn-born Randy Weston. Randy Weston uh, is a West Indian, uh, first-generation West Indian like Sonny Rollins and, and different other musicians. Randy is still alive, still playing, Great, great piano player, influenced by Thelonious Monk and Duke Ellington. And Randy has his own style, had his own style back then. And this is an album called Get Happy. It's from uh, the middle, recorded in 1955 and produced by Oren Keepnews. We're going to hear three tunes. Randy is accompanied by Sam Gill on bass and Wilbert Hogan on drums. Uh, we're going to hear three tunes. The first one is a standard tune called Get Happy, which is the title track. The second tune, <laughs> you got to check this out. This is a traditional Caribbean tune called Fire Down There. You listen to this and you'll find out where Sonny Rollins got his famous tune, St. Thomas, from. Mm-hmm. Great artist, Steel. <laughs> there you go. And the final tune is a Duke Ellington tune called Sea Jam Blues. So here, then, is some prime early Randy Weston. Produced by the great Oren Keep News, and we're going to continue with lots of great music from now on, beginning with this.
the great and still very much with us, Randy Weston. That's right, and he's also one of the tallest <laughs> piano players ever, six foot nine. Uh, he's huge. And uh, Randy was uh, born of West Indian parents. His, his dad, uh, actually in Brooklyn, uh, ran a restaurant. And Randy just kind of picked up the piano, uh, taught himself, and um, read through books and all that sort of stuff. And uh, Randy is, of course, uh, one of our most uh, respected uh, jazz icons. And um, as I said, he is still very much with us. This was one of his very earliest recordings and one of the very first modern jazz recordings that was produced by Oren Keep News and his partner Bill Grower for Riverside Records. And uh, this is Randy on piano, Sam Gill on bass, who went on to a career in classical music, and Wilbert Hogan on drums, G.T. Hogan, same guy. And uh, Randy playing three tunes. We opened with uh, Get Happy, a standard tune, written by uh, Ted Kohler and Harold Arlen. Then a traditional tune from Barbados, yes, uh, where Randy's ancestors are from, and uh, it's a tune called Fire Down There. Now you know where Sonny Rollins got his famous St. Thomas from, right? Okay, say no more. <laughs> All right. And the final tune, of course, is du was Duke Ellington's Sea Jam Blues, done in Randy Weston style. And he was a pianist that was influenced by Monk and, and um, Duke Ellington, and uh, combined that in a very personal style. Now, speaking of Thelonious Monk, we're going to play a couple of tracks from one of his most groundbreaking recordings this is one of the few recordings where Oren Keep News actually had a hand in producing this piece of music. Now, he didn't often do this. Yes, the odd time he did some small edits to music, but basically he was a hands-off guy. He didn't like to edit. He liked to put the music out as it sounded. However, this piece was an exception. This was a brand new composition that Thelonious brought to this recording session, which took place um, in October of 1956. Hmm. And the two musicians on here, one of my favorite alto saxophonists, the late and uh, sadly lamented Ernie Henry on alto saxophone, and the great and still alive, Sonny Rollins on tenor. Those were the two saxophone players, two of Thelonious' favorites. And Thelonious on piano, Oscar Pettiford on bass, and Max Roach on drums. They could not, uh, Keep News usually booked two um, recording days. And the time was used up on this uh, um first date here, on this one tune alone, he had hoped to at least finish the recording in the, on the first day. But no, this tune was so difficult and provided uh, uh, all kinds of puzzling uh, stuff for the musicians to play, especially the horn players. They could not get this down. Um, they, it would start out okay, and they they play great solos, and then it would get to the end where they had to repeat the theme, 
and they couldn't do it. They never made a complete take. They tried about 15, 20 times and weren't able to, to do a complete, unedited take of this tune. So Oren Keep News thought, and of course he was a little bit upset because this one tune took, this whole re- took the time of the whole recording session, cost money. And they only produced, <laughs> and it didn't even produce one complete tune. And so he, he, he spoke to Monk, and, and he said, look, he said, I think I know what to do here. He said, I can splice in an ending to the tune where you guys really played well and put two together, but I have to edit and I'm going to get you to supervise the edit to make sure that I, I'm not skipping beats or anything like that. And Thelonious agreed and said, okay, we'll, we'll do it that way. And um, which was surprising because normally Monk would have said, forget it. You know, we'll come back and try it again another day. Uh, but no, he agreed to it because uh, the solos and, and the opening of the tune was so good. It's just that the band was never able to complete it. <laughs> they, they would botch the ending or botch the beginning, play a great solo and do the ending properly. So, you know, either way. So that's, that was his, one of his few forays into actually putting something together um, through electronic means. And that's about the only time he ever did this. So we're going to hear this piece of music, this extremely difficult piece of music, which was so foreign to the horn players and everyone else in the band, except for Monk himself. And the tune is the title track from this famous album. It's called Brilliant Corners. And we're going to follow that with a ballad that Monk wrote uh, for his dear friend, Panonica, Baroness Nika Rothschild who was a, a, a mentor and a sponsor and a, and a fan of Thelonious Monks. They were lifelong friends, and he wrote this uh, second tune for her and uh, used her full name, which is Panonica, and that's the title of the tune. So we're, we're going to hear Brilliant Corners and Panonica from this famous album, Brilliant Corners, produced by Oren Keepnews. Here we go.
two compositions by Thelonious Monk. This is from uh, one of Monk's most famous and groundbreaking albums, produced by Oren Keepnews, the gentleman we're paying tribute to, the late great producer and owner of Riverside Records. And we heard Brilliant Corners, and as I mentioned before, the uh, few times that uh, Oren edited a complete performance because uh, the musicians themselves weren't able to complete a take uh, over the three hours that they were in the recording studio. So um, he decided to uh, take the bull by the horns and uh, ask Monk if he approved of this, and they uh, spliced a a good ending on the tune. So that was Brilliant Corners was the first tune, Um, and the second tune was uh, Monk's dedication to one of his patrons, the great Baroness Nika Rothschild, and uh, the title is her full given name, Panonica. And we heard Thelonious on piano and on the second tune, also on Celesta, and um, on alto saxophone, the, the late, great, and sadly lamented Ernie Henry, the late, and uh, on alto. Sonny Rollins, of course, one of Monk's all-time favorites on tenor saxophone, Oscar Pettiford on bass, and Max Roach on drums. We have one more by Thelonious Monk that I'd like to play for you. This is his famous quartet, which uh, unfortunately was not, um, they couldn't reach an agreement uh, with Prestige Records. Keep News and Bob Weinstock went head to head because uh, Keep News wanted to record Coltrane's quartet um, and uh, would definitely give Prestige credit. Monk, of course, was under contract with his label. Coltrane was under contract with Prestige. But somehow they couldn't, uh, they butted heads and, and couldn't reach a, a, an agreement. So this band uh, was one of the most important bands in jazz history. It was as important as Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie together and so many other important bands. But there were, um, it was only the, uh, later on that a few recordings of this seminal quartet came out. However, Keep News, smart guy, he brought them into the studio to record three tunes. He wasn't going to issue them, of course, because he couldn't, um, or else he'd face a lawsuit. But he had these on hand, and when when, uh, Coltrane's prestige contract expired, Keep News put them out. And so we do have this representation of this famous quartet, which put Monk back on the map and back on the playing circuit as well. Uh, They played it the the whole summer of 1957 at the five spot. Every musician, every major musician went down to hear these guys as often as possible. So we have John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, Mr. Monk on piano, Wilbur Ware, Monk's favorite bass player, and the great Shadow Wilson on drums. And we're going to hear a tune called Trinkle Tinkle, one of Monk's most difficult compositions. And uh, we'll close the Monk set with this one, produced, of course, by Oren Keepnews.
the legendary Monk Quartet, as they uh, probably sounded uh, playing at the five spot in uh, the summer of 1957. John Coltrane, tenor saxophone, Monk, of course, on piano, Wilbur Buero on bass, and Shadow Wilson on drums, and one of Monk's uh, most difficult compositions, Trinkle Tinkle, and uh, they're a very good representation of uh, the legendary quartet. We're going to move on to uh, the music of Wes Montgomery in just a moment, but uh, just to briefly tell you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR-FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. And we uh, just like to mention a couple of websites that are always very valuable to look up. One of them is the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. They have all kinds of stuff planned for this year's jazz festival. It is their 30th anniversary. It's a big one. More days, more people, more music, uh, more festivities, all that kind of stuff. And uh, to check it out and buy tickets and do all that kind of stuff, just get onto their website, coastaljazz.ca. Everything is on there and uh, all the information that you might need, including all the schedules and everything that uh, they've already publicized. And uh, tickets are on sale for uh, many of the events, so you can do that as well. Another great website is the vancouverjazz.com, and that's uh, Brian Nation's website. He keeps it up to date. You can find out about all the uh, various gigs around Vancouver and where, uh, who's playing where and what and what time and all that sort of stuff. Uh, Brian keeps it up to date, and that's VancouverJazz.com. And uh, one more thing, my friend Ken Speller, who is um, not only a very, very fine saxophone, clarinet, flute teacher, uh, he's equally adept at repairing woodwind instruments. That's what he does. He has his workshop in his home, which is located in the 13th and Lonsdale area of North Vancouver. He's a very good guy to get to know. If you have a little tweak in your um, needs to be fixed in your saxophone or clarinet or flute, it's not operating properly, etc., etc. Ken will uh, fix it up for you and check everything out. Very reasonable prices, and um, that he's very, very good. And a lot of professionals are going to Ken. And uh, as I said, he keeps his prices down because he works from home. Phone number, 778-800-1933, 778-800-1933. Or you can reach him at kspeller, that's an email, k-s-p-e-l-l-e-r underscore 14 at yahoo.ca, kspeller underscore 14 at yahoo.ca. Wes Montgomery was not really a discovery of Orrin Keep News. It was a discovery of Cannonball Adderley. They were visiting Indianapolis, and they heard Wes at an after-hours club. And because Cannonball and Orrin Keep News had already established a relationship, Cannonball phoned Orrin and said, "You gotta, you gotta hear this guy. You gotta come out. You gotta, you, you have to check him out. He's the most amazing guitar player." Wes Montgomery? Who's that? Anyway, Orrin soon found out, and 
brought Wes to New York. The first album was with Wes's working band that he had um, with uh, uh, Mel Ryan on uh, an organ and uh, sometimes George Brown on, on drums. And But this album really put uh, Wes Montgomery on the map because this was Wes with a group of uh, very high-end musicians, very prominent musicians, and uh, he was only too happy to work with these guys. We heard the poet of the piano, Tommy Flanagan, Percy Heath on bass, and brother Albert Tootie Heath on drums, a stellar New York rhythm section. And this album became uh, a bestseller for Riverside Records, and uh, it uh, is considered one of Wes's finest albums. We're going to hear two tracks from it. We're going to hear a very famous Wes Montgomery composition called West Coast Blues. And the second tune is Wes's version of a Sonny Rollins composition called Erigen from the album The Incredible Jazz Guitar of Wes Montgomery. Thank you. 
Two tunes from one of Wes Montgomery's most famous albums, the incredible jazz guitar of Wes Montgomery. And, of course, uh, when this album uh, came out, it just hit. Um, Everybody was listening to Wes, and he was all over the jazz radio waves. And uh, this was uh, the album which catapulted Wes Montgomery to uh, be uh, an influence and, of course, uh, famous in the jazz world, Wes Montgomery. He seemed to have come out of nowhere, but of course uh, musicians don't come out of nowhere. He worked very, very hard at at his craft. And uh, interestingly enough, um, Percy Heath echoes uh, Ron Carter, who appeared on another recording session, um, when, when the three musicians, Tommy Flanagan on piano, Percy Heath on bass, and Albert Heath on drums, uh, assembled uh, in the studio. There was absolutely no sheet music around or anything like that. They, weren't <laughs> they were kind of puzzled by all of this um, because normally on recording sessions there's uh, sheet music and sometimes things are rewritten to uh, record with special chords and all that kind of stuff and uh, a lot of written music and, and there was none there. And of course, um, Percy uh, was so used to working with um, within the discipline of the modern jazz quartet, um, he was a little puzzled by this uh, thing. And of course, they didn't know that Wes Montgomery never read music at all. He played totally by ear and, of course, played the guitar in a very unorthodox way with his thumb, didn't use a pick. And um, that's the kind of genius that Wes Montgomery was at, and, and uh, just an amazing musician and a beautiful person as well, Wes Montgomery. So it was Cannonball Adderley who had established a relationship with Oren Keep News. Oren signed Cannonball uh, to his label after um, uh, during Cannonball's tenure with the famous Miles Davis sextet and began recording Mr. Adderley. And uh, not only uh, was Keep News um, a backer of Cannonball, a fan, and so on, they became great and respected friends. They loved one another. And Cannonball uh, eventually uh, produced uh, records for Riverside. He acted sort of as a, um, as on because he was on the road so much, uh, he would phone Keep News, as he did with Wes Montgomery, and say, hey, you got to hear this guy. you got to record this guy. He recommended a lot of uh, uh, musicians that he was exposed to um, and brought them to Oren's uh, attention. Anyway, this is the first album that Oren produced and the initial album that Cannonball did for Riverside Records. He was only too happy to sign with that label. He was with Mercury before that, and they didn't, they didn't uh, push any of his albums. So he was unhappy with Mercury, and uh, when his contract expired, he was only too happy to hook up with Oren Keep News, realized that he got a very honorable man on his side. So this is a quintet put together by Cannonball with uh, Julian Adderley on alto saxophone, Blue Mitchell, his homeboy from Florida, on trumpet, Bill Evans, some great Bill Evans here on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Orrin Keepnew's favorite drummer, Philly Joe Jones. He's my favorite, too. Philly Joe is a killer on this track. And we're going to hear two tunes from this uh, session called Portrait of Cannonball. 
The first tune is a composition by another alto saxophonist, Gigi Grice, and it's called Minority. And the second tune was written by Miles Davis, and it's called Nardis. Strangely enough, Miles never recorded this tune, but this is his composition, and he brought it to the date um, for Cannonball to record. And we'll hear the first version of this tune, Nardis. Minority first, Nardis second.
two tunes from Cannonball Adderley's very first album for Riverside Records called Portrait of Cannonball, recorded in July of 1958 when Cannonball was uh, still a member of uh, Miles Davis's Sextet. And uh, Mr. Adderley picked the guys in the band from uh, Homeboy from Florida, trumpeter Blue Mitchell, who became a favorite of Warren Keep News, um, Cannonball, of course, Julian Adderley on alto saxophone, the great Bill Evans, who we're going to hear um, more of on piano, Sam Jones on bass, and Philly Joe Jones on drums. There are no relation, but, uh, well, Sam is actually from Florida, too, so uh, um, they, Cannonball and Sam Jones knew one another a long, long time. And Philly Joe Jones, of course, became one of Orrin Keepner's favorite drummers, uh, even though <laughs> Philly Joe could be uh, a pain in the ass, as Orrin Keepner said, uh, for uh, various reasons. But he said there was nobody like Philly Joe in the recording studio, no matter how um, what his personal problems were. When Philly Joe came to play in the studio, he had everything together, and. Uh, as it turned out, he was uh, Warren's favorite drummer. He put up with a lot from Philly Joe, but uh, he got a lot, too, from, uh, from Philly Joe Jones. We heard two tunes. Uh, Minority was the first tune, the up-tempo tune written by Gigi Grice, and the second tune was a tune written by Miles Davis for Cannonball for this date specifically. Miles never recorded this tune. Beautiful uh, sort of Eastern feeling in this tune, and it was called Nardis. And this was the first incarnation of that tune. Incidentally, I forgot to tell you the tunes that Wes Montgomery played uh, on the earlier set. We heard uh, Wes's famous composition, West Coast Blues, and then the up-tempo Sonny Rollins composition called Erigen. And Wes, of course, performed with Tommy Flanagan, Percy Heath, and Albert Tootie Heath, a stellar New York rhythm section. And, of course, Mr. Montgomery on guitar. Okay, we uh, are going to move now to these very famous recordings by pianist Bill Evans, recorded at the Village Vanguard. These were among the last recordings that featured the legendary bassist Scott LaFarrell. And, of course, uh, his death from a car accident affected Bill Evans for many, many, many years. And uh, there was something extremely magical in this trio, and we owe it to Oren Kiepnus for bringing his recording equipment and recording Bill Evans at the Village Vanguard. These recordings, of course, are among the greatest that Bill Evans ever made. We're going to hear three tunes from this set. Um, a standard first to open the set called Detour Ahead, and uh, a great, a great composition that was recorded by many people. And uh, then we're going to follow that with um, a composition by Scott LaFarrell entitled Gloria's Step. And uh, incidentally, uh, Detour Ahead, um, yeah, that's a, um, a tune written by uh, Herb Ellis and Johnny Frigo and um, bassist uh, Bob Carter, uh, a, a great song. Detour Ahead is the first tune, and then Scott LaFaro's Glorious Step. And the final tune is a very famous Bill Evans tune that he wrote 
for his niece. And, of course, everybody knows the tune. It's called Waltz for Debbie. Bill Evans on piano, Scott LaFaro on bass, and Paul Motion on drums.
Three tunes recorded at the Village Vanguard, produced by Oren Keepnews, and these are some of the final recordings by the great revolutionary bassist Scott LaFarrell. And of course, when he uh, was killed in a car crash, that uh, ended the magic that this uh, trio produced. And Bill Evans, of course, uh, it remained in Bill's memory for years and years and years after. It was very traumatic. But uh, we heard them at their some of their highest moments um, on these recordings. We heard three tunes. Uh, we opened with uh, Detour Ahead, then Scotty LaFaro's own composition, Glorious Step, and then the final composition by Bill Evans, dedicated to his niece, and uh, of which he was a very proud uncle. Waltz for Debbie. And uh, the three people involved here, of course, Bill Evans at the piano, Scott LaFaro on bass, and Paul Motion on drums. A couple more things to wrap up the show. I'd like to, uh, a little later on, Oren Keep News went to Fantasy Records to produce a lot of albums, including albums by Sonny Rollins. Um, another favorite of uh, Oren's was Joe Henderson. And... Joe had moved from Milestone, which uh, uh, Keep News was uh, proprietor of, and then that was bought out by Fantasy, and they kept Oren on as a producer, and he produced uh, several albums by Joe Henderson, including this one, which has always been a favorite of mine. Kind of an underrated Henderson album, too, uh, and uh, it's called Canyon Lady, and we're going to hear the title track here, um, it's a wonderful piece. It features a brass section with some people, Oscar Brashear, Julian Priester, Brashear on trumpet, Priester on trombone, and uh, Hadley Callaman added on uh, tenor saxophone, all in the section only. And uh, um, the composer of this piece is a pianist uh, who still performs around the Bay Area, great guy, Mark Levine. And he is a, a real um, authority on uh, on Latin, jazz Latin music. In the rhythm section, John Hurd on bass, the great Eric Gravatt on drums, and Joe Henderson on tenor saxophone taking the lead on this uh, fascinating piece, the title track from this album, and it's called Canyon Lady.
Great Joe Henderson from his album Canyon Lady. And uh, that featured uh, some pretty interesting uh, personnel people. We had a brass section in there, um, augmented by uh, Carmelo Garcia on timbales. Uh, Eric Gravatt was on drums. John Hurd on bass. On acoustic piano, Mark Levine. On electric piano, the great late George Duke. And... Um, that was Mark Levine's composition and arrangement as well. And, of course, the featured soloist in that was the great Joe Henderson. And, of course, this was one of the many albums, and I think an underrated Joe Henderson album, produced by the great Oren News. One final um, recording by someone that uh, News embraced and recorded a lot on his... Um, own label, which he started late in his career. That's a label called Landmark Records. And Keep News recorded some great people on there, including the late and wonderful Mulgrew Miller. And we're going to hear a composition by Mulgrew Miller to close the evening here on The Jazz Show. This is, a, again, an Oren Keep News production. We're paying tribute to the great um, impresario and, and record producer and someone who uh, all the musicians uh, that he was associated with um, loved. And uh, unlike some of these guys, Oren was a fair and um, honest man, and the musicians loved him. He loved musicians, and uh, they produced some of their greatest recordings for him. This is one by Mulgrew Miller I've always liked. It's called Time and Again. Uh, it's a trio album with Peter Washington on bass and the late Tony Reedus on drums. And this is a Mulgrew Miller composition called Tongue Twister. Our final selection this evening on The Jazz Show and a tribute to the great late producer Oren Keep News. <laughs> 